Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. I'm thankful that I get the chance to stand before everybody here and I welcome everybody from SoundCloud and from YouTube, whoever may be coming to Gospel Saving Church and watching or listening along. I'm Pastor Ed Spagnoli and uh, we're a little house church in McKinney, Texas. I want to welcome you if you're in the area too. Welcome. You're come on in. You're welcome to come to the house and and join in the fellowship in the Lord. It's a we have an awesome time together. We're just a little family plus a, some guys. And so uh, praise God, we're starting out. We're not too old. And uh, God's been doing lots of miracles and he's been keeping us going. So um, I want to thank you guys, everybody, for joining us today. And thank you for joining in wherever, all over the world. I want to welcome you to our little house church in McKinney, Texas. And I'm just, uh, again, as I said earlier, I'm thankful to the Lord that he has given me this opportunity to, to keep teaching for him and to keep you know, reading the Word and, and studying the Word week after week after week. And uh, God has been enlightening me and showing me all kinds of new things. So if you guys want to turn today, uh, we're, we're off a little, we're off the beaten path this week. This week we're not actually going to be in our normal Matthew. Chapter 13, I think it was before. We're actually going to be in Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. So if you guys have your Bibles open and you want to read this week along with me, then you can turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. It's toward the end of the Bible. It's uh, right past 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, and I believe it's past uh, Galatians and Ephesians, and it's all the way to Philippians. All, it's almost, almost kind of toward the end of the New Testament. So the title of this week's sermon is have this mind in you. Have this mind in you. So if you guys want to join me in a word of prayer for our service this week, and then we'll get started and we'll start teaching. Lord Jesus. Oh, sweet, sweet, sweet Savior. Thank you so very much, Lord for bringing us here today, Lord God. Thank you so much. And we thank you for this section of Scripture that you've given us this week, Lord, Philippians chapter 2. I pray, Lord God, as I was musing on you and meditating on you this morning in my daily devotion time, Lord, you were putting on my heart so many things to say for this section of Scripture. And Lord, I just pray that all those things would just come out right now as we start to read, Lord God, as I, as I start to <clears throat> teach the Word today. Lord, I can't do this on my own. <clears throat> Lord, you know I need you. I need you for every breath. I need you for every heartbeat, Lord. I need you every single day, every moment of every single day, Lord. Unceasingly, Lord God. I, I need you so badly. And Lord, I just pray that you would enlighten us today, Lord God, and teach us what you have to say to us today, Lord, in Philippians chapter 2. We love you and we praise you, God, and we thank you, Heavenly Father. Lord, you're so good. Keep us going, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So, as I was mentioning before, mess, before message today, we're not going to be doing things like normal. We're going to be doing things a little different this week. And so we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2 instead of Matthew chapter 13, I believe. And we're actually going to change it up so drastically, we're not actually even going to read over the whole entire passage that we're going to look at because I actually don't know how far we're going to go today. We may read the whole chapter of Philippians chapter 2 or we may just read half 
of the chapter of Philippians chapter 2. So I don't know how far we're going to get. I don't know where we're going. I don't know what God's even going to totally say. today. This week's been, a, been an interesting week. So uh, if you guys want to join me, I'm going to start in Philippians. And actually, for context, and uh, for context and for, you know, scene, we're going to start in Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 29, and we're going to read over verses 29 and verse 30 first, and then we're going to move into Philippians chapter 2. Paul writes in verse 29, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Having the same conflict which, conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Why did I read verses 29 and 30 of Philippians chapter 1 when we were studying chapter 2? For context and for scene. Okay? Paul is writing this book to the Philippian church, the Philippi, it was a city called Philippi, to a church that was there in Philippi. Okay? He was writing it from prison. So that's where he penned these words about 1900 or so years ago. That's where he penned these words in a, in a jail, in a prison, probably in a dungeon somewhere is where he wrote these words. So he starts off and he says, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. So he's, he's telling them there, he's recognizing that they've also suffered as he's suffered. Verse 30, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. So they were suffering as well as Paul was suffering. So obviously Paul's telling us here that there was some persecution in the church. There were some people obviously coming up against God's church and persecuting the people of God and the church that was in Philippi, or, or this book titled Philippians, to, you know, to the church there. Moving on, verses, or chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Therefore, so therefore, in, in spite of, you know, in lieu of this, you know, I'm in prison, you guys are suffering for Christ, you don't just only believe in him, but you're, you're suffering for him as I'm suffering for him. Chapter 2, verse 1, therefore, remember that word therefore, you know, in light of, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy. Well, now, what is, wait a minute. Back up here. If there is any consolation, comfort of love, and fellowship of the Spirit, affection and mercy, if there's any, why, why is he saying this? Paul knew God. Paul knew Christ. He's saying, if there's any, what? Well, of course, we know that there's a lot of consolation in Christ. We know that there's a lot of comfort of love. We know that there's a lot of fellowship of the Spirit. We know that there's a lot of affection and mercy in God and in Christ Jesus. In fact, there's so much, it, it's, it's abundant how much there is. I mean, Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There's a lot of affection in God. If we put our trust in Him, if we put our faith in Him, 
excuse me, and no matter what we're doing in life, no matter what situation we're in, no matter how good things look, no matter how bad things look, if we put our faith in God and we put our trust in Christ, there's all kinds of consolation in God. There's all kinds of consolation in the Spirit. There's all kinds of hope in God. All those things that Paul just said, if there's any. So why did he say, if there's any? Well, of course, just like I just said, He's in prison, remember. And this probably wasn't our modern-day American prison where people actually go to prison and they live maybe better lives than they lived when they were out on the streets. This is real prison, guys. This is dungeon-type prison. Paul was probably shackled. He probably had standing water that was all over the floor all around him all the time. It was a horrible situation. So he says, if there's any consolation in Christ... Because you know what? When our situation is bad in life, and our, when our situations are bad, when we're going through trials, when we're going through tribulations, we always can't see that. Well, of course, Paul was having that trouble. If there's any consolation in Christ Jesus, there's lots of consolation, but of course, it's hard to see that. And when you're in prison in his day, <clears throat> they don't just put you there. They torture you some. He spoke of one time this, this coppersmith that was torturing him. I mean, he faced horrible times in prison. Horrible torture. And he, once he went to prison, he actually never got out. He died under the reign of Nero in the 60s AD. So Paul lived, the last part of his life was a torturous part of his life. So of course, he knows, he knows that there's some. And how do we know he knows that there was some? How do we know that he was, was had some joy in Christ? How do we know he did have some peace in Christ. Well, look at verse 2. He says, fulfill my joy. I'll stop there for a second. What does it mean to fulfill his joy? He, he's got joy, see? When, he say, when you say, fulfill my joy, you've got joy, but he's wanting more joy. He's wanting them to help and fulfill his joy, to make it more, which I can understand. When you're in a bad situation, who doesn't like when somebody comes along and encourages you and gets you back up? Paul says, fulfill my joy, verse 2, by being like-minded. Having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Now stop there for a second. We just got to pause on that. You're in prison. You're having a terrible time in life physically. You're being tortured. Things aren't going that well for you. And, I mean, to me, I could say, if I was looking at it from now, from my perspective, because I can't have that mindset because I've never been there, but, you know, thinking of just how we are now, I might say, I might have written it a little different. I might have written it like this. Fulfill my joy by sending me some, some hamburgers. Fulfill my joy by sending me some, you know, some, some clean clothes. Because, you know, initially we think, fulfill my joy, we think, what's going to make me, what's going to make me happy? What's going to make me, you know, joyous? What's going to help me get through this hard time in the flesh that I'm going through? So, but look what Paul writes. Paul doesn't ask for anything physical. He doesn't ask for anything for his flesh. Look what he says again. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded. This is something, by the way, that wouldn't even help him while he was in prison. Them being like-minded would not ease the pain 
of his physical pain while he was in prison. Nothing would do nothing. He was still going to be tortured. He was still going to be in pain. He was still going to be hurting. Well, what is he saying? Fulfill my joy by being like-minded. For him, he's saying, for me, it'll be better for me. Forget about my flesh. If you just be like-minded. He thought, as well we see Christ thought, that being together, being united, meant more, means more than anything else. Remember what Jesus said. A house divided shall not stand. A house divided shall not stand. So even to Paul, realizing, having the heart of Christ, realizing what Christ said, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Folks, any organization, any church, any corporation, any business, one of their goals that they strive for is unity. People to be on the same mind, people to be of the same heart, to be, in the, to, to be like-minded in everything they do. I work for a couple companies, and they're always want. let's work as a team, guys. Let's work as a team. If we can't, we got to work as a team. Well, you know, we're, we're a family here. They're always promoting family. Oh, we're a big family. Let's work as a family. Why are they doing that? Because they know if they can get us to work as a family, they know if they can get us to be like-minded, what's going to happen? Success. You will have success in life if you're like-minded, if you're unified, if you're, as Paul says here, by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. If we're together, we'll succeed. Jesus said it. But if we're not united, we will be destroyed. Okay? We'll be destroyed. Be unified. We have to come together. That's part of one of the things that the devil's unfortunately done such a good job of in the Christian church nowadays. He's done such a great job of getting all the churches to argue about little insignificant things that don't matter for people's salvation. He's done such a good job of, of separating the church on small issues, issues that are not have to do anything with anybody's salvation, issues that have such, such small part, and actually your life in Christ, it's, it's so sickening, but yet people are like, well, they're not together with me. Ah! Oh, I, I, I got to do this. I'm going over here because you guys, because we're not together. Because, you know, you guys can't believe the way I do. And I don't believe the way you do. And, and those things that you're, you know, those things that you're talking about, ah, bah humbug, you say. So being like-minded means success in business, in God. Jesus said a house divided shall not stand. If you want to see something crumble, real easy, Lose your like-mindedness. And everybody wants to go their own way. And everybody thinks it's got to be run this way. You know, that's why in business, it's a bad thing when in business, you know, when you have the employees and everybody wants to be a chief and not everybody wants to be an Indian. Because there can only be one chief or, uh, you know, a set amount of chiefs to amount of Indians. Because if there's too many chiefs and not enough Indians and everybody thinks that they know what's best for the company and then nothing's really getting done because everybody's giving orders but nobody's doing them. 
Okay, so Paul says here that the very first most important thing that he wanted that was going to give him joy, more joy, was to fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. And he goes on to elaborate about that. Verse 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. So what is he saying? Let nothing be done out of selfish ambition or conceit. That, I mean, that's, pretty, that's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Let nothing be done out of the greed of your own heart. Reminds me what Jesus said. Jesus said, all those that desire to follow after me must deny self, pick up cross, and follow after me. Our self is naturally greedy. Naturally selfish. Paul's asking them to fulfill his joy by doing nothing through selfish ambition. Selfish ambition is just the opposite of like-mindedness. Did you realize that? Selfish ambition is looking out for me and not looking out for the whole as a whole, the whole church or the whole business or the whole company as a whole. Okay? That's what self that's what, that's what selfish ambition is, or conceit. It's all about me. Look at me. Look at how important I am. Selfishness is just the very opposite of like-mindedness. But then he says, and he gives them an example on how to be of the same mind. He gives them an example of this, how to practice this. He says, but in lowliness of mind, humble. Humility. Be humble, my brethren. Don't be prideful. Don't be selfish. Don't be conceited. Be humble. Okay? But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. What, what happens when you do that? What happens when you aren't selfish? What happens when you aren't conceited? What happens when you put others before yourself? Love. When you put others and you hold others higher than yourself, you're showing true love to one another. Whereas being selfish, being conceited, it's all about me, not like-minded. But if you're putting others better than yourself, not only are you being like-minded with them, but you're actually holding them in a better status than you are holding yourself. And this is what he wanted while he's suffering in prison. He wanted these great things for them. Now, if he wanted these great things for them while he was in a terrible position in prison, shouldn't we want the same things for ourselves and our church and the world today? Absolutely. Absolutely. He goes on to say, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And you may say, well, wait a minute, Pastor. That seems a little bit contradictory to what you just said. Because as I was reading that, I'm like, wait a minute, Lord. Let each of you look, look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. But while you just said, let, let, you hold, let you esteem others better than you're esteeming yourself. And it's like, well, wait a minute. I don't understand. Well, what is he saying? Well, of course, see, we have to take care of the basics for ourselves. We can't just say, oh, I'm just going to spend time worrying and be, being concerned about everybody else and not have any concern for yourself as well. 
you have to take care of yourself. You have to take care of your basics of yourself. You got to make sure that you're eating. You got to make sure that you're taking care of your business. You got to make sure you're taking care of your family. You got to be a good steward of your home. You got to do all these things. But what he's saying is while you're making sure you just cover what you got to cover, look out also for all the things of everybody else that are around you. Look to them, he says. Look to each. Look, each of you look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So while you're holding others in higher esteem than you are holding yourself, also, while, you know, while you're taking care of yourself, look out also for the needs and the things of others. You see how it takes it all off of just me? The flesh is me, 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 me. All about me. It's all about me, which is just the opposite of, again, like-mindedness. And he says, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. And so we, again, it's a good word from the Lord today. Whatever you're doing, whatever success you think you're going to have in life, whatever business that you're running, whatever church that you're doing, whatever anything that you're doing, be like-minded in Christ. Because if you're like-minded, you will succeed. If you're not, you will fail. Verse 5. So he goes on, he, now he gives us more real-time how to do this. So basically what he's saying here in verse 5, he says, let this mind be in you. And that's actually where the title of our sermon came from this week. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So he just told us, hey, don't be selfish. Don't be conceited. But look out for the interests of others. Well, you know, and, and of, co of course of yourself, but look out also for the interests of others. Hold up others higher than yourself. So we may be saying, okay, I understand it, but, but Paul, how can you say that? I mean, how, how is that beneficial? How is that beneficial? And, and, what, and why are you telling us even to do that? You know, I, I mean, I, I can see it, it might be a good thing to do, but why would you be telling us to do that, Paul? Why are you telling us to be like-minded? Why are you telling us to be unified? You know, what about me? Aren't I supposed to take care of me? And he goes on to tell us in verse 5 why we're supposed to be that way. Why we're supposed to hold others in higher esteem than ourselves. Why we're supposed to be like-minded, having the same love, having the same joy. Let this mind be in you, verse 5, which also was in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. John 10.30, Jesus said, Me and the Father are one. He didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God. Verse 6. But he was in the form of God, and he didn't consider it robbery, robbery to be equal with God. Verse 7. But made himself no reputation taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Now, we're going to camp here for a while, actually, because maybe those verses didn't impact you like they did me because maybe you haven't seen them the way God has helped me to see them. Paul says, be this way, and we're saying, well, that's, yikes, it's hard. That's hard. I mean, you know, i, I got to take care of me. You know, what about my life? And, what about my things? And what about my, you know, situation? So Christians, listen up. Because I'm telling you right now, 
We're all today, as I've been getting this week, and as I was getting this morning as I was looking over, we're all, this, is, this section here of, of Scripture here is attitude correction time. Attitude correction time. Did you hear what the Bible just said? Jesus, Paul says, let this mind be in you. So what mind, Paul, should we let be in us? Now you just told us how we ought to be living, but what mind should we be having in us? For well, for Christ, who being in the form of God, okay, Colossians 1.15 says, He, Christ Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And Hebrews 1.3 says, who being, Christ, who being Christ Jesus, who being the brightness of His or God's glory, and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power. That's how powerful Christ is. He upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, Paul just said, be humble. Consider others better than yourself. Treat others better. Put yourself on the back burner. Well, why, Paul, why should we do this? Verse 6, he says, and this is a command, by the way, verse 5. He's no longer asking for a fulfill the joy, by the way. This is now a command. This is not a statement that's supposed to be taken, well, if I want to. He says, verse 5, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. So he just told us that we should be like-minded together. Now he's saying that we should be like-minded with Christ. Why? What's so important about that? Why, was it, why is it so important to be like-minded with Christ? Who being in the form of God. So Christ Jesus, when we saw him on the face of the planet, when people live with him, he was in the form of God. If you wanted to see kind of what God looked like, we can't see God's face, but if you want to see kind of what God looked like, if we would have been living when Christ was living, Jesus was the very express image, as Hebrews 1.3 said, of God Almighty. Colossians 1.15, He's the image of the invisible God, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Made himself of no reputation. Do you realize what Paul just said? Paul said that the creator of all heaven and all earth came down to be amongst us. He was the image of the invisible God and God's express image, but he considered himself of no reputation. This would be like the owner of the biggest business in the world coming down and coming out of his office and stepping onto the world and to the regular world and um, going to clean toilets for McDonald's. Jesus Christ, the very image of God. But he didn't even consider himself to be, he didn't even consider it robber to be equal with God. And still, he made himself of no reputation. 
Look at this. Taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. In John 13, 1 through 5, Christ showed us a perfect picture of what Paul is writing to us here in Philippians when he says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and he girded himself. That means he wrapped it around his waist, like almost like a cook in a pizzeria would do. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the feet of the disciples and to wipe them with the towel which he was girded with, and you could say around his waist. Now think about that. God made you. God formed you. God gave you the breath of life. Christ put your heart in your chest and made it beat every single day without stopping. We talked about that in another sermon. Millions and millions and millions and millions of times in a lifetime of somebody not even that old. And he gave you the breath of life. We read in Hebrews that everything is upheld by the power of his very word. This is Christ Jesus. And verse 7 but made himself of no reputation. If you can think of right now the highest position in the world, the most powerful people in the world, think of those people in your head right now. Two people come to my mind, and I actually got a little something wrote down about them, and I'll explain in a second. But just think about Bill Gates and President Barack Obama for a second. Okay? Those very powerful people. And there were many. I went to Forbes, actually, and they have 72 of the most powerful people in the world. Somebody from Russia and, you know, some other people that were on there. I don't have their names. And billionaires. Billionaires after billionaires after billionaires after billionaires. I, I, the last time I looked this morning, I think Bill Gates had something like 42 or $58 billion in holding. Be like, you know given each American family a million dollars and then still not even being, that's not even going to affect them because that, there's only not even 400 million people in, the, in, in this country right now. That'd be nothing for him to give every American family a million dollars. He holds 40, so over 40 or 50 billion dollars of holdings. That's just Bill Gates alone. So think of those people. Now I make this I make this crossover very loosely, very loosely, because when I reference the king of heaven and earth, I honor him, I reverence him. He is the everything to me. Without him, nothing would be. Without the word of his power that we read about in Hebrews, 
the moon would fly off, the, all actually particles and, and everything would just disintegrate and we'd all become nothingness. So I have to give him his honor and I have to give him his due. And when I think that Bill Gates or Barack Obama, are they, in, are they, in, are they important people? Yeah, they're you know, important people in our world today. But are, do they line up with God? Do they match up with God? Absolutely not. Not even his toenail. Not even the hair of his pinky toe. Okay? Not even would be that important as far as power goes unto God. And God gave me this analogy because, see, we can hear this, you know, Christ Jesus, he humbled himself and he did this and he did that. And the God of all creation, he bowed down and he, you know, basically, you know, to wash somebody's feet, by the way, you have to be on your knees. I don't know if you're familiar with that. They, they sat on the floor in Jesus' day. So the creator of all the universe got on his knees. And we've read before how, how, how a bunch of knuckleheads the disciples were, and they still committed sin, and they still did a whole bunch wrong. And so Christ, the king of the universe, who created everything, got on his knees, knelt down before the Peter, the same one that denied him three times and washed his feet. Now, you all may not know this out there, but I hate feet. They're awesome to walk on, and we need them, but I think that they're one of the most ugly things that God created. I hate them. They're smelly, they're nasty, and in Jesus' day, they walked in sand, they wore sandals, their feet were disgusting. They were gross, okay? They weren't nice in shoes and with socks, and maybe they get a little sweaty nowadays in our modern American culture, but people, they walked in sandals, folks. They walked in sandals and they had a sandy desert area. Their feet would have been sweaty and then picking up dirt and they all been toe jamming there. Disgusting. And yet Jesus, the creator of everything, gets on his knees to people that it were, he knew, like Peter, were going to deny him. And he takes their feet their nasty, smelly, dirty feet in his hand, and he starts to pour water on them and to rub them around with his fingers, and he starts to clean them. Somebody's foot. This single act of what Christ did here, along with his ministry, how he served people, cannot be compared with anything that we can even understand in this life. If anybody that you even know would just give up everything right now and go wash every single person's feet in the whole world, wouldn't even compare still. Because we're just a man. We're just men. We're sinners. We're evil and we're rotten and we're wicked. So that wouldn't even compare. And I'm going to give you two examples so that we can help our physical minds realize how... Powerful, what Jesus did here is not that it even compares. Please try to understand, I'm not going to compare these two earthly men to God. But just so that you can wrap your mind a little bit around the power and the humility that Christ, the King and the Maker of everything, just did for these disciples and what He does for us nowadays still too. I'm just going to give you two examples of things. Let, let's take Bill Gates for just a second. This one thing that Jesus did along with this, this would compare again like a toenail clipping, okay? But it still help, might help us to realize how humble Christ really humbled himself here. So Bill Gates, what if he started today to go around to every single house 
of every single person that just bought a Microsoft product. And he asked you in thanks if he could cut your grass to say thank you. Now, you think about that. He would never, in a million years, if he lived that long, he would never do that. Ever. Ever. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't go cut the grass of people that bought anything of mine, ever. And I'm me. And I'm not Bill Gates. I'm not, I don't have a holding of a $42 billion. But this single act in life's, Christ's life, the humility that he showed, it, it's something like that. It's something like that. How about this one? What if President Barack Obama started coming to every single home in America and knocking on every single door without Secret Service now, without any protection? He just left his house. You know, because it's, it's numbers are numbers. And the national debt has almost doubled since this man has been in office. Okay? So what if he started going to every single door and knocked on every single door of every American home asking Americans to forgive him while apologizing personally for what he's done to this country and then reaching in his pocket and pulling out a $1,000 bill and giving it to each person and each American home that he went to, asking for forgiveness for doubling the national debt in six years? Even that, absolutely absurd. It's, never, it's not going to happen in a million, million times a million times a million years. That's not going to happen. Barack Obama or Bill Gates will never in their existence do these things, which I just read. Period. But that would be humble, wouldn't it? That, those are pictures of humility. Bill Gates, and that's a picture of humility for President Barack, uh, Barack Obama to realize his error, doubling the national debt almost in just six years, when that's more than any president's ever done. That'd be humility. That would be, that would be humbleness, a picture of humbleness. But guys, a toenail clipping of the humility that Christ shared for us. In verse 8, and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. If that's not humility, now can we see Paul's command, let this mind be in you? Because if we can't be humble, Christian, if we can't be humble like Christ, we're not his. Because if he was that humble, I wouldn't do, I wouldn't do what Jesus did. And I'm just me. And yet, Christ Jesus humbled himself to the point of death and became the most humble person to ever walk the face of the planet. He could have stepped on the scene. He could have stood up and said, everybody worship me or I'm sending fire from heaven and I'm going to destroy you right now. And all those that would have, would have, and all those that didn't, he could have sent fire from heaven and destroyed them all and not 
been in the wrong for doing it. Because we deserve it. Because we're wicked. But he could have done it, and he didn't. Instead, he humbled himself and took the form of a bond servant. And he came and he looked like one of us. And then in humility, all of his ministry, and we'll even go beyond that. Remember, he was a baby and he had to grow up from a baby to an adolescent and then from an adolescent to a teenager and from a teenager into his mid-20s and then from mid-20s into his 30s, okay? That whole time... While he was underneath Mary and Joseph, he had to be subservient to him. And we see that he was subservient even to them. When he was at the age of 12, he came and they had gone in for a feast in Jerusalem. And then the whole caravan left and Jesus kind of stayed behind and, uh, you know, started talking with the religious leaders in the temple. And his mother, a couple days out or day out, or I can't remember, it's not in front of me, but a day or so out, his family, Mary and Joseph go realize that, well, where's Jesus? <gasps> Where's Jesus? They start looking around the whole camp. They go, they, they go back to Jerusalem where they find him in the temple, listening and talking with the scholars and with the religious leaders and the Pharisees and so on and so forth. And they said, Jesus, what are you doing? We're worried about you. We need you back home. And he humbled himself. And he listened and he went. The creator of all the universe. He could have looked at them and he could have spoken a word and said, Turn to dust. And they would have turned to dust right then and there. And that would have been it. He made everything. He made you. And yet, he didn't take who he was. He didn't come in that form. He didn't come as God to rule and obey me and serve me now. Now you'll serve me or else. He came in humbleness. He came in humility. He came and he held us in higher regard than he held his own self. Attitude, heart check, time, Christians. Are we living lives that hold others better than ourselves? Or is it all about me? Or is it all about me? Because if it's all about me and all about what I want, Jesus said, all those that desire to follow after me must deny themselves, pick up cross and follow after me. Follow after me means do the things that I did. Be like me. The word Christian means follower of Christ or little Christ. And if we look at the life of Christ and we're honest with ourselves and we say, well, I don't, I don't know. Wow. Am I, am I really doing what, you know, what he said? Am I really living like him? Am I really being that humble? We can never, I want to note this, be as humble as him because, of course, we're not God. So any form of humility that we could do right now, although God would be happy with it because we could be humble. It's important to know, since we aren't the creator of the universe, we could never drop to his level and do what he did. We could never drop like Jesus did because we didn't come from heaven and we're not going back to heaven. Only some are going to go to heaven and get to stay. But we didn't originate in heaven and then come down from heaven and you know left our throne because that's what Jesus did. 
He left his throne. He left the very throne room of God in perfection to come down and not only give us the way of salvation, but also with his very life, guys, with his very life, he showed us how to imitate him. It's one thing, and you know this, and I'm going to play this out in your mind, and you can, you can see this. It's one thing for the parent. It's one thing for the boss. It's one thing for the supervisor to say it. Hey, Charlie, go over there and clean that toilet. Now, if you want to keep your job, you'll have to go over there and clean that toilet whether you want to or not. But generally, people in their minds, they're going, especially if they're not the toilet cleaner of the business, they're going to say in their mind as they're going, they're going to say, yes, sir. But as they're going over, you better believe in their mind they're going, I bet you that boss, he's never cleaned that toilet like that. I imagine why he told me, sending me to clean that toilet. I mean, if I didn't have to have this job, I wouldn't have. And you're complaining in your mind the whole way. Generally, very rarely does the boss, does the leader, does the chairman, does the CEO actually do what he says or he tells others to do. Jesus, if you look at this, came and he's the ultimate boss, guys. There's no boss, no king, no Lord higher than Jesus Christ. Not a one. Not, not even anywhere near close to one. So not only did he tell us how to live, how to be a Christian, how to walk, the things to do, he showed us first by his lifestyle. And the Bible says that we're supposed to be imitators of Christ. Paul's command, chapter 2, verse 5, let this mind be in you. And look, not that I say that there should be a reward, not that I say that we should do this for any other reason other than, wow, I love Christ. He gave me that example. If he can humble himself, oh, by man, my golly, well, I better be humbling myself. That's what we should all be saying right now. Because if the king, that great, could come down and do what he did, then none of us should be saying, I can't do that. I can't be humble. I, phew, that's beneath me. If we follow Christ and we say we follow Christ, then we got to follow what he said and how he lived. And not that I say again that there should be a reward, but verse 9, look what God did for him, though, because he did that. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. So because he did what he did, God gave Jesus a name above all names so that verse 10 at the name of jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on the earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that jesus christ is lord to the glory of god the father two verse five Paul's command, let this mind be in you, Christian. Let this mind be in you. Are we letting that mind be in us? Or are we being selfish? Or are we being rude? Or is it 
all about me? Examine your life today. As I always want everybody to do. God's hope, too, is that you examine your life today. Are you being obedient to God? Are you being humble toward others? And most importantly, we can't even do those things unless we first humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. Because if we won't even humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, we're never going to be able to ever humble ourselves before any human being. And that's where a walk and a faith of a person starts anyway. Faith starts in somewhat set of belief. Oh, I believe in Jesus. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah, I believe that he, you know, that he did that. But belief is not the end all, end all. The Bible says that belief is just an avenue to get to faith. And faith is something that's invisible, but it's something that's seen. Because when you decide to put your faith in something, for instance, when you decide to put your faith in the chair that you're sitting on right now, maybe you're sitting down. Before you sat down, you had to believe first that the chair was there. That's, that's the first step. And then what you have to do, that belief in that chair, yeah, that, that, that's there, okay. But then before you sat down, you had to trust that that chair was going to catch you, that that chair was going to be there for you when you sat down. Because if you didn't trust that chair to be there, maybe you saw somebody else sat on a chair that looked like the one you're sitting down on now, and it broke the other day because it was just rickety made. Then when you come up to your chair, you're going to be like, well, I don't I don't know if that's going to, I don't know. That chair may not hold me. I mean, I know, I believe there's a chair there. Hey, that's, that's a chair. Oh, that's great. Take a seat, sir. Well, I don't know if I can trust that that chair is going to hold me. Well, you start with God and you start with Christ. Is not only believing that he's there, but putting all your faith and trust and hope that He'll carry you through everything. That He'll be there for you, as I said during service before recording. God never takes a vacation. God doesn't ever leave. He doesn't take a nap. He doesn't sleep. He's not away on business. And His phone line is never busy. His line's always open. Even if there's almost 8 billion people on the planet, even if every single one of 8 billion people were to call on the name of God all at one time, he'd say, well, wait a minute, let me, let me turn on the other half of the one ear here. Because he can hear us all. It's just natural. It's like we breathe. God hears people. He can. If we're willing to call out to him and we're willing to believe in him, and we're willing to put our trust in Him. He says, I'm here for you. But then, of course, after follows, James says, faith without works is dead. And of course, we know that that's not works of righteousness. We know that that's not works of, oh, I did enough good things in my life now, God. Maybe can I get to heaven now? Because I did all these good works and I did all these good things. Because the Bible says it's by grace we are saved through faith. And not of works. It's a gift of God. And so that no man could boast. God offers His salvation. He offers you to walk with Him for, for nothing today except for one the start after belief to put the faith to humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. 
to humble yourself. And it's not, you're not, well, you may think, well, I don't know. It's hard to do. How can I humble myself? I, I don't know. And that, that's kind of hard to do. Well, if you think that's hard to do, look at Christ. He did it for you. He did it as an example to show you first. So if you think that's too hard for you, let me ask you a question right now. Ask yourself a question. Are you the creator of the universe? By the power of your word, are all things upheld? By your very existence, everything stays together? Can you say that about yourself? Well, if you did, you need to be in a mental institution because that's not true. Because nobody is but God in Christ Jesus. So we're not. We're less. We're way less. We're, we're not even a toe hair. We're nothing. God is all-powerful in everything. Okay? That's what He is. If you can't humble yourself unto Him, after He humbled Himself unto you and served you, whoever you may be, me too, came, verse 7, but made Himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant for us. For us! Not for the birds, not for the cows, not for the, not for the goats, for us. Came in the form of a bondservant. Well, a bondservant, if, unless you don't know, is a willful, someone that willfully puts themselves in servitude toward another. So Jesus willfully put himself in servitude unto you and unto me. That was his example. And that's where we start in a relationship with God. Belief, and then trust, and then surrender. Surrender under the mighty hand of God because He first surrendered and humbled Himself for you. Are you there today? And if you claim to be a Christian, and maybe you are a Christian, and maybe you're struggling with this humbleness, well, again, I ask you the same thing. Are you the creator of the universe? Would you wash 12 ridiculously sinful men's feet, all 11, one that betrayed you three times on the night, of your on the, night the day before your execution? Because I'd have trouble with that. But he said, this is what I'm going to do. And then Paul says, commands, it's biblical, verse 5, let this mind be in you. So if you're struggling today as a Christian and you think, oh, I just... I don't know, it's hard to serve others. I just I gotta humble myself. Oh, it's a command. And Christ did it for you first as an example of how you ought to be Christian, follower of Christ, little Christ. Christian, non-Christian, all alike, please, if you find yourself today not humbled under the mighty hand of God and following in his footsteps, Look what he did for you. He humbled himself, verse 8, and being found in appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And as we did communion before we started our service, we know that Christ came to that, went to that cross and died a brutal death. For why? For the atonement of our sins. Because we can never be good enough to stand before a holy God. Because we can never be perfect. We can only believe, trust, and surrender.
unto him. Wherever you find yourself today, believe absolutely. Because how is everything just all out there? Put your trust in, like you sat down in the chair that you're putting in now, and humble yourself, fall on your knees, and cry out to God, and call in the name of Jesus Christ for salvation. Call in the name of Jesus Christ to do all things. Because the Bible says we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And surrender. Surrender today. God bless you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this message, Lord God. Thank you so much, Lord, for the example of humility that you showed us in your word today, Lord God. Thank you so much, Lord God. Because if we didn't have an example... It's easy for somebody to say something. It's easy for somebody to just, oh, hey, uh, go do that. Yeah, 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 go do that. And then it's that person, you know, we, although we may have to respect you, and that's kind of how it would have been with you. I mean, we would have had to do it just because if you know, we would have wanted to know you. Yeah, we would have had to begrudgingly do it, you know, if you would have just said, do these things. I mean, because after all, you hold ultimate power and ultimate authority. There's nobody above you. But Lord, you just didn't say it. Lord Jesus, you did it. You did it first. You showed us first what it meant. And you just put this on my heart just now. Jesus, you just didn't even do this. You, you, you did this thousands of years before. You served the Hebrews in the wilderness for 40 days or for 40 years, Lord. You, you gave them a, a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. And you gave them manna every morning to eat. You served your children way back in the very beginning. You've been giving us the example of how we ought to live for you and be by what you did for us since the very beginning. How dare we, Lord, today say, I can't humble myself and surrender to God. I, I just can't do it. Lord, you, you did it for us first. You serve everybody today, every single person today. Because you make the environment so that all the stuff grows. You put it in people's hearts to be farmers. Because I would never be a farmer, Lord. But you put it on people's hearts to farm, to raise things, to grow things, so that we people can eat. Because we eat of what's grown. And it grows of your earth. You gave this earth to us so that we would rule over it. This whole earth is a gift to us. It's your service unto us. God, I pray right now, whoever's listening, if they wherever they find themselves, Lord, if they find themselves a Christian but struggling with this, Lord, they're not the creator. Humbleness, Lord, because that's what you do. And if they find themselves, I'm, I'm, I've never surrendered. Lord, I pray you'd show them that that's the only way because that's what the example that you gave. And the servant is not a greater, is not above his master, Lord. And Lord, we can never be greater than you as much as we be like you. Lord Jesus, I pray right now that any, any listening that realizes that I'm not walking the walk, I'm not doing the things that I'm not doing and I haven't surrendered, Lord, I pray that they would surrender right now. I pray that they would surrender right now and humble themselves under the mighty hand of God and surrender unto you and turn to you with all their hearts before it's too late, Lord God, and you gave them every chance and every opportunity to do it. Bring them to you, Lord. 
bring them to you. And Lord, I pray that you would humble every single solitary Christian that's listening to this message. (laughs) By your example, not by your word, but by your example. I love you, Jesus, and I praise you, Jesus, and I thank you, Jesus. And I ask these things in your mighty name. Amen.